0: This is The World in Brief, from The Economist. Our top stories. Protests were held across America after the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, the landmark ruling from 1973 that protected the right to an abortion. At least 25 states are expected to severely restrict or completely ban the practice, including, in some instances, in case of rape or incest. Quote-unquote trigger laws designed to kick in were the ruling ever overturned mean some already have. President Joe Biden called the court's decision a, quote, tragic error. Meanwhile, several companies vowed to cover expenses for employees who need to travel for an abortion. Disney and JP Morgan Chase joined Apple, Citigroup and other firms that previously announced similar policies. While Republican-led states move to ban abortion, some liberal ones are bolstering their support. Oregon allocated funding to an abortion charity and Illinois legislature will hold a special session to quote further enshrine reproductive rights. Two people were killed and 21 injured in a shooting in Oslo, the capital of Norway. Shots were fired at three locations, including a gay bar, in the early hours of Saturday morning. Police have arrested a suspect, but no motive has been confirmed. American stock markets rallied on Friday, capping off a strong week after a period of poor performance. The S&P 500 rose by 3.1%, its largest daily increase since May 2020 while the Dow Jones jumped by 2.7% and the Nasdaq by 3.3%. Global stock markets also improved. The FTSE All-World Index gained 4.7% over the week and the MSCI Global Index improved by 4.8%. Russia warned that there would be, quote, negative consequences for the European Union accepting Ukraine and Moldova as candidates for membership to the bloc. A spokeswoman for Russia's foreign ministry said the EU's potential expansion, which would take years if it did happen, was tantamount to the, quote, political and economic enslavement of its neighbors. Meanwhile, Ukrainian forces in Severodonetsk were told to withdraw after withstanding months of Russian shelling. The International Monetary Fund slashed its economic growth forecast for America because of the Federal Reserve's swift increase in interest rates. The IMF estimated that America's economy would grow by 2.9% in 2022, down from its 3.7% forecast in April. Kristalina Georgieva, the organization's boss, said that there is a, quote, narrowing path to the country avoiding a recession. The UN's Office for Human Rights concluded that Israeli security forces shot dead Sharin Abouakle. The journalist for Al Jazeera was killed on May 11th while reporting on an Israeli security operation in the occupied West Bank. Initially, some, including the Israeli authorities, blamed armed Palestinians for her death. And word of the week, Garimperos wildcat miners in the Brazilian rainforests, among those groups most against any environmental protection of the forests. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead.
1: Roe's Last Stand On Friday, America's Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, the ruling from 1973 that declared a constitutional right to abortion. For months, America's anti-abortionists had prayed that their half-century of activism would pay off, while abortion providers prepared for a post-Roe future. It has now arrived. Decisions on abortion now return to the states. Around half are expected to ban it. Many conservative states have already passed restrictions that had hollowed out Roe. Yet the sudden disappearance of abortion provision across vast swaths of America will still cause unprecedented trouble. Women who need abortions will have to travel further. The burden will fall most heavily on the poor. Anti-abortion activists will shift their protests to clinics in progressive states where abortion will remain legal. Efforts will be made to pass a national ban. Far from being over, America's long abortion war is entering a new phase. Bridging a Gap in Bangladesh On Saturday, Bangladesh unveils its biggest public infrastructure project since independence in 1971. The 6.2-kilometer Padma Bridge spans the main distributary of the Ganges, connecting 30 million people in South Asia to the megapolis of Dhaka. The inauguration of a project some 23 years in the works is a public relations prize for Sheikh Hasina, the prime minister. In 2012, a tussle over corruption led the World Bank to pull a record $1.2 billion in cheap loans from the project. One decade later, the $3.5 billion bridge has been completed by Chinese state-backed companies and fully financed by the Bangladeshi treasury. The trust four-lane highway and rail route will cut travel times between the east and west of Bangladesh. That could boost annual GDP growth by 0.3 percentage points, according to Copenhagen Consensus and American Think Tank. Yet greater potential payoffs may go untapped. Bangladesh's borders with Myanmar and India remain largely closed. Trade and neighborly trust are low. To achieve greater regional integration, no smaller feat of political engineering will be needed. Friends at First Sniff People tend to be less open about sniffing each other than dogs. But new evidence suggests that odor is a good predictor of whether strangers will click. Inbal Revrebi, Kobe Snitz, and Noam Sobel of the Weizmann Institute of Science in Israel claim to have shown that friends smell alike. In a paper recently published in Science Advances, the scientists use both an electric nose and human sniffers to test the odor for a, admittedly small, group of 20 pairs of established platonic same-sex friends. They find that buddies matched. Does friendship cause odors to converge or do pre-existing scented similarities lead to friendship? The researchers' findings show that the latter is more likely. They were able to use the e-nose measurements to correctly predict mutual self-reported feelings of immediate friendship between strangers 77% of the time. Somehow, the nose knows. Talking in a Hotspot The discussions at the biennial Commonwealth Heads of Government meeting are usually remarkably dull. But excitement often abounds elsewhere in controversies surrounding its hosts. The 2013 summit was held in Sri Lanka, which has a record of war crimes and torture, causing countries including Canada and India to boycott it. Eyebrows were also raised when the meeting took place in the Bahamas, whose government at the time was allegedly linked to drug smugglers, or Zambia, then near the front lines of Zimbabwe's War of Liberation. So too will be the case this year as the Chagum is hosted by Rwanda. Heads of government meet on Saturday. The African country is under fresh scrutiny for its record on human rights because of a British plan to deport asylum seekers to it. It is also accused of backing rebels in neighboring Congo. Both issues will probably dominate the discussion, to the detriment of the meeting's stated aims of boosting trade and innovation. Weekend Profile Emily Evis, the Glastonbury Heiress In 1999, the 19-year-old Emily Evis was training to be a teacher in London when her mother Jean fell ill. She returned home to Somerset to support Jean and Michael, her father, on the family's dairy farm. Tragically, Jean died while the couple was tending to the family's other business, the Glastonbury Festival, which they had run for nearly 30 years. This weekend... Emily is in charge of the pandemic delayed 50th Anniversary Festival, which will attract over 200,000 revelers to Worthy Farm. In 1970, Michael Evis, along with Jean and some friends, decided to put on a music festival. In the 1980s, Glastonbury, named after a nearby town, became a near annual event. As a child, Emily dreamed of having ordinary parents and fewer people camping in what was, in effect, her back garden. Some years were wild. She remembers riots on the site in 1990 and being shouted at in public by local landowners irritated by the crowds. Mr. Evis thrived on the risks of running a music festival while his wife was a nurturer, tending to spaced-out campers in the family's farmhouse. Miss Evis takes after both of them, yet she never assumed that Glasto was her birthright. After deciding to help with the family business when her mother died, she began an apprenticeship of sorts in London. Organizing charity gigs with the likes of Coldplay and R.E.M. taught her how to persuade massive bands to play for fractions of their usual fees, a practice for which Glastonbury is well known. Gradually, she and her husband, Nick Dewey, a band manager, assumed bigger roles at the festival. A highlight was the launch in 2007 of The Park, an intimate space at Glastonbury known for surreal art and spontaneous performances. The 86-year-old Mr. Evis marked the start of this year's festival on Wednesday by opening the gates. He also still deals with neighbors. But these days, his daughter and son-in-law run the event and book the bands. Judging by Glastonbury's enduring success in an era of proliferating festivals, they do a fine job. Tickets are like gold dust. The festival costs £40 million, or $49 million, to put on. Around £2 million of the profits go to charity. Despite its continual expansion, Miss Evis has made the festival greener, safer, and cleaner than ever. Even the burger vans of old have been usurped by fancy cuisines usually to be found on the high streets of English cities. Miss Evis's musical choices face more scrutiny than her father's ever did. But despite some grumbles—in 2015, many festival-goers were furious when she booked Kanye West, a hip-hop artist— she has remained broadly loyal to Glastonbury's traditions— The Eva's family has always had Catholic tastes, ranging across pop, folk, blues, rock, and dance. And Glasto's success has enabled the festival to cater for all of them. Over five days this weekend, the punters at Glastonbury will watch more than 3,000 artists perform on over 100 stages, from Paul McCartney to a Ukrainian folk quartet. Keeping them happy is a full-time job. The winners of this week's quiz. Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. The winners chosen at random from each continent were: Asia, Maznun Bujang, Kuching, Malaysia; North America, Joel High, Silverthorne, United States; Central and South America, Gerardo Ganica, Mexico City, Mexico; Europe, Ian Basford, London, United Kingdom; Africa, Nils Pierce. Kwadukusa, South Africa. Oceana, Max Yao Li, Christchurch, New Zealand. They all gave the correct answers of Carrie Fisher, Stand By Your Man, Salem, The Misery Index, and Shining Path. The theme is Stephen King Novels. And visit the Espresso app for our new weekend crossword designed for experienced cruciverbalists and newcomers alike. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Benino Aquino III, who died on this day in 2021. If no one is corrupt, no one will be poor. That's the World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app.